Carter Moore, who is uh, head of the uh, student ministry called BASIC at UNI on Thursday, sent out an email uh, to the staff, and he wanted to share a story about Braden Smith, who's a junior at UNI, who went on this trip, one of these trips to Jamaica. This is what Braden wrote. He said, I've told people that I can sum up my experience in Kingston, Jamaica, in these couple words, game changer. Before Jamaica, I had no idea what Christianity was all about, let alone God. I grew up in a non-Christian community where Jesus was never introduced, and I never asked about him. On March 14th, 2015, it was easy to see that God had been preparing me for this moment, and I was about to be in for the shock of a lifetime. That night, lying on a bed, I began praying at the Caribbean Christian Center for the deaf. I realized for the first time that I was willing to actually devote my life to walking a path with God and His Son, Jesus. My life had been changed forever. Game changer. Isn't that awesome? That's why we do this. That's why we are the church. That's why we're about, you know, to give these kids these opportunities to encounter Jesus and for lives to be changed. Our mission is, uh, let's just put that up on the, on the screen just for a second. I just want us to, to look at this. It, it is to help next generations to encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. Braden had an encounter with Jesus, and his life was changed, and he was one of the eight who was baptized in the Caribbean. Now that sounds like an awesome place to have adult baptism. Let's do that, huh? Can we just vote right now? Amen. Okay. How many would like that? Yeah. That would be awesome. So we are about today talking in this series, how can we help people encounter Jesus? How can we live into this new missional mandate I think that God has given us as a church? to help the next generations to encounter and follow Jesus, to bless a broken world. Well, in order to do that, I want us to look at Scripture. We're going to look at a story from Mark chapter 2. I want us to read that together. It's it's an awesome story. I think it will give us some encouragement about living out this mandate. Jesus says there, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the story of, of Braden.
Thank you that he had an encounter with you in a great place to have an encounter with you. Lord, today could be a great place and a great time to have an encounter with you. And so we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would be here, that you would make yourself known, that your word would become uh, true for us, and that you would speak to our hearts, and we might respond to you in faith and trust. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. As a church, we're really asking ourselves, how can we better live into this idea of helping the next generations of encountering and follow Jesus? There's three encouragements I think we can take from this passage, okay? And the first one is this, that we continue to courageously, I'll just say that, courageously live out the truth that Jesus changes lives. To courageously live out the truth that Jesus changes lives. I love this story. You've got all these different dynamics, but what's happening basically is this, that in chapter 1 in in the book of Mark, Jesus shows up in Capernaum, and he's teaching, and the people are amazed by his teaching. They can't believe that he could teach with such power and authority. And then he's healing the sick and casting out demons. (laughs) It's crazy stuff. In fact, it records in chapter 1 this, Jesus Uh, The people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Well, Jesus, having spent the day doing all of those kinds of activities, decides that he's going to leave, and he goes and, and teaches in other places. But he returns. He returns back to Capernaum. And guess what? Word is out that Jesus is in town. And so people gather. And they fill up this place. You know, a house, I guess. But they fill it up. And four friends are absolutely convinced that if they can get their other friend who is in need, if they can somehow get their friend in front of Jesus, Jesus is going to do something for their friend. That is amazing. You know, we who are followers of Christ, we believe that God can change us, right? Because He changed us, so we believe that He can change others too. So in effect, what this verse is saying, I think, and what God is calling us to do, not to sort of believe that simply in our minds, but say, how are we going to live that? What actions are we going to take? Here's what the friends did. They saw the crowd that didn't deter them. So what do they do? They grab their friend, they climb up on a roof, they scratch through the roof, probably a thatched roof, which is held together with sticks and and mud. They create a hole, they lift up their friend, and they drop their friend right through it. That's amazing to me. What would that be like right here? (laughs) That'd be crazy. And I'm sure it caused a bit of a mess on those who are in the room. What I love about this is that these four friends risked, risked something. They went through great cost to get their friend in front of Jesus. Why? Because they believed that somehow if they get their friend to Jesus, Jesus would do something. 
Do something powerful. Do something to change them. Maybe even heal them. And sure enough, what I also love about this passage is this. In the ruckus and the commotion, it says in verse 5, when Jesus saw not the man's faith on the mat, when he saw the faith of the friends, (laughs) he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Wow. What in the world could we do that might lead us to take action? That we might believe that our friends, if we could just get them in front of Jesus, Jesus could do something to help them, to change them, to forgive them, maybe to heal them. I remember sitting as a young pastor in a a consistory meeting. That's just simply the leadership board of our the church. And I was kind of idealistic and young and probably still am, okay? Not young. Idealistic, but passionate. And I remember having a conversation with some of the elders, and one elder in particular. We were talking about an individual who had been sort of separated from the church and uh, apart from the church and apart from anything sort of of Jesus for a long time. And yet he was still a part, a member of the church. And the elder was like, well, he'll never change. That's just who he is. And that got me hot. I mean, just right back here, underneath my collar. And I said, really? That's what we believe? I don't believe that. And I can remember saying probably more than I should have in that meeting. But I believed with all my heart, and I still believe with all my heart, that God can change people. And so, the story goes on. The great thing is, this elder that said these words went to a Gaither homecoming concert. Now, not my choice of music, but it was his. And he had an amazing encounter with Jesus. I mean, so much so that he became a Gaither groupie. (laughs) Wherever the Gaithers were, if they were within 300 miles, he would go. Go to their concerts and he would experience and he would be there to worship the living God. But in that time, over time, he, this elder, started going to his neighbor, the man that we were talking about in that meeting, and befriending him, and loving him, and believing something could happen in his life. And sure enough, this man, who is hardened, who is hard-hearted in every way, had an encounter with Jesus, and came back to be a part of the church and the fellowship of the church. Do we believe? Do we believe that God can change people? Do we believe that Jesus has something for them? Then it ought to cause us to react, to move, to risk something, to do something. I love this. You know, whatever those four friends had for the day, they set it aside so that they could help their friend get to Jesus. 
Are we willing to sort of set aside our schedule, whatever it is that we've got, so that maybe our friend can encounter Jesus? Are we willing to risk tearing up a roof (laughs) or a building just so that a few others might be able to encounter Jesus? I love the story recently. Brad, Brad and Brooke, some of you know Brad and Brooke. Uh, they help out with Chaos, the junior high ministry. And, and I know Steph and Brad with Friends First and, and Chaos, they were having a lock-in recently out at Lincoln Center. And they were playing dodgeball. In fact, I thought about bringing dodgeballs today to, to worship. Something happened. They broke something in the church. Dreadful, Right? But here's the great story about it. Brad calls with fear and trepidation, and the person on the other end just started laughing. Why? Because they were just so excited to have kids in that building who are going to encounter Jesus. They believed that Jesus can do something. Do we believe that? Here's what J.I. Packer says in a book called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. I love this quote. He said, God can make his truth triumphant to the conversion of the most seemingly hardened unbeliever. You and I will never write off anyone as hopeless and beyond the reach if we believe in the sovereignty of his grace. Who is it, my friend, that maybe is in your life right now who needs to encounter Jesus? Have you written them off? I hope not. I believe, and I believe our church, Orchard Hill, believes that anyone who can has an encounter with Jesus will be changed. For 40 years, almost 53 years actually, Orchard Hill has been removing barriers to help people encounter Jesus. Forty years ago, they hired the first missionary to UNI campus. Back in the day, it was denominations who supported uh, staff like that. But Orchard decided, we're going to do this as a church. About ten years ago, Pleasant Valley Reformed Church. I don't even know where that is. I just know the name. They came to Orchard and said, hey, we think something ought to happen in Grundy Center for the county to reach all these towns around here. What if we did it at the theater? Wow. Who would have thought of that? Ten years ago. Why? Because we believed that if we could get people in front of Jesus, Jesus could do something. And so we hope for you that you might have an encounter here with Jesus. Three years ago, Lincoln Center Avenue Christian Reformed Church didn't know what to do. They were struggling. They came to Orchard Hill. They said, here, help. And Orchard Hill, okay, okay, we'll do it. We'll help. Why? Because we believe that somehow together we could help people encounter Jesus. Here's a second truth out of this story, I think, that might encourage us to live into this mandate. That we need to continue to courageously live out the truth that we're better together. That we're better together. 
We can help people encounter Jesus if we work together. I love it here that there's four friends who gave up their day so that their friend in need could get in front of Jesus. Thirteen years ago, a, a man by the name of Grant Wheeler died in a tragic car accident. He was a runner, a husband, a father. And some friends who wanted to honor the memory of Grant decided the way we can honor him and his faith, let's get together and let's run. (laughs) So they organized a 5K run in his name and in his honor. That first year, 600 people showed up. And they told stories of faith. They told stories of Grant's life and how he bore witness to his own encounter with Jesus. And through that, many people have come to be a part of Orchard Hill Church because it held right in Cedar Falls. They honored his name, and even today, they continue to raise money and give out scholarships to those who are runners and wanting to go on to college. Gary and Sheila McClanahan. Sheila's been long time on staff at Orchard Hill. She told a story at a staff meeting recently about her small group. They decided together that they wanted to do something, and so they started reaching out in the Walnut neighborhood in Waterloo. It's a partnership that Orchard Hill has developed there. But they decided, we'll go serve there. We want to meet some people. And so they met some people. And one of the persons that they met was Jack, who lives right in the neighborhood. And over time, Jack became a part of their own group. And Jack admitted to the group, he said, you know what, to be honest with you, I'm not sure about this Christian stuff. But I kind of like you. So if it's okay, I'll just be a part of the group. And they loved on Jack. And they helped Jack, who happened to be in a wheelchair. And they did all kinds of things with Jack. And they loved on Jack, and Jack loved on them. Well, as it turns out, Gary and, Mich- and, and Sheila are going to Indianapolis to be closer to their kids. So they, they reported that this was the last time that they were together as a group. Said, And in that meeting, Jack, who'd been so resistant to Jesus, said, I want to know Him. How do I pray? I want to pray to receive Jesus. Isn't that amazing? What if you and I believed that together we could do this thing? You know? What if we together said, hey, let's go find so-and-so. Let's serve them. Let's love them. Let's bring them to Jesus. Who would those people be? And what would we do? And how could we creatively bring the kingdom of God to our friends and to our families and to our neighborhoods? We want to be a church that helps next generations to encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. Will we courageously live out this idea that somehow we might be better together? I love the fact that we as a church, are trying to live that out here in Grundy County and in Cedar Falls. We're trying this clunky thing of trying to be one church 
in two places. And guess what? This fall, it's going to be three places. (laughs) We're launching another service in Waverly in September. Why? Are we crazy? No. We believe that together we can help more people encounter Jesus. I love the fact that for 30 years we've done student ministry with Nazareth Lutheran in Cedar Falls. I love the fact that Friends First is not just Orchard Hill. It's joined in the community. We're trying to reach high school students. I love the fact that we together are joined with the Walnut Neighborhood and Harvest Vineyard Church down in downtown Waterloo. I love the fact that people risked enough to come to a theater <laughs> to say, I've been changed by Jesus and I want to help be a part of what God might do to change others. Here's the last encouragement from this story I just want to share. If we're going to live out this idea that we might be a church that helps the next generations to encounter and follow Jesus, to bless a broken world, we need to courageously live out this idea, this truth, that God can use our weakness, our weakness, to draw ourselves and others to Jesus. Notice, Who was it that inspired four people? It was Jesus first off, but it was also their friend who had a need. A paralytic man. It's amazing to me. It's because of that paralytic and the faith of these friends in the one whom they called Jesus that not only did those friends encountered Jesus, that whole room encountered Jesus. In fact, lots of people in that region heard about Jesus because of this paralytic man. Now, some of us have got to get over ourselves. And this is what I mean by that. You, despite your past, despite whatever you're going through, God still cares for you and loves you and wants to be made manifest in your life. I believe that. In fact, somehow, in the midst of our weaknesses, it's often that God makes Himself most known. Think about it. In your own life, when you've been most hurting or wounded, or lonely? When has God been more real? In fact, Jesus said in Matthew, He said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. It's in those moments God often makes Himself most real. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He was saying this, saying, I've been given this weakness, this thorn in the flesh, and I've begged God, asked God over and over to remove this pain from me. But he says this, 
This is what God said to me. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. As D.T. Niles once said, Christianity is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. One thing I think as you get to know me and my family is you need to know about uh, Giselle's mom. For nearly 40 years, she's been living with a disability. When she's 31 years old, had three kids, vibrant mom, she had a virus attack the blood vessels along her spine. She was completely paralyzed in an iron lung for more than three months. They didn't know if she would live or die. Slowly, God began restoring her health, but limited. Her whole right side was affected. In fact, her lung capacity is about 40% of what a normal adult would be. And over the years, her body has continued to break, breaking down to the point where she's in a power chair now. Now, do you think that she hasn't prayed for God to heal her? Absolutely. But like Paul, she has by faith, her and her husband, chosen to believe. My grace is sufficient for you. And I got to tell you, it is that faith and that determination that has been an unbelievable witness to my family. Jesus first said, your sins are forgiven. But then he did an amazing thing. He healed the man. But it is in his weakness that God's glory was made manifest. What if God could use you? I believe he can. What if he says, trust me, my grace is sufficient for you. I believe that God is calling us to be a people, a church, that would courageously say, we want to help our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones, and that jerk across the street, encounter Jesus. All of them. What will we do? Hey, let's build a building. Are we crazy? Maybe. But we also believe something, right? That it could be a tool that Jesus could use. Hey, are we crazy? I hope so. For the Lord. Let's pray.
Lord God, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. Lord, I pray that you would give us faith to believe that you can change us and you can change our friends, you can change our families, you can change uh, the destiny of this community and this county. God, I'm, I'm so grateful for your goodness to us. I pray that you continue to guide us and lead us and help us to risk uh, and lavishly show grace to those around us who pray. And I ask that in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.